Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have any of you seen this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks called Catch Me If You Can? Yeah, I haven't either. Um, But I'm told, I watched a little clip of it. So I I met the guy that this was based on. His name is Frank Abagnale. And he discovered that, uh, he ran away from home when he was 16, and he discovered, I can just write a check, and um, by the time it goes through all the processing, I'll be long gone when they realize that that check is no good. Right? Nowadays, it doesn't work that way because of Frank Abagnale. So he convinced people that he was a Pan Am pilot, that he was a doctor, that he was a lawyer. And his name, his, his name was always Frank, but it was Frank Brown or Frank this or Frank whatever. He came to Gustavus once. Now he works for like the government, helping them catch people do the, doing the things he used to do. So it turns out if you're a good enough criminal, you might get a job. <laughs> I think Frank would say, don't, don't, uh, don't follow that advice. So in the movie... He's, he's about to get married, and there's this engagement party, and Tom Hanks, the FBI agent, has caught up with him. He comes to this party, and he asks the father of the bride, I'd like to, I'd like to meet the groom. And uh, the, the father of the bride, played by Martin Sheen, says, is there a problem? And then we, we cut away to Leo DiCaprio furiously pulling cash out of the ceiling and out from under the bed and packing a bag. Brenda, Brenda, we got to go. Do you believe me? Do you love me? Do you trust me? I don't want to, you know, and, and his whole thing is coming down around him because he, he's not who he actually claims to be. And so he says this, Brenda, I don't want to lie to you anymore, all right? I'm not a doctor. I never went to medical school. I'm not a lawyer or a Harvard graduate or a Lutheran because her parents asked, are you Lutheran? At a family dinner. Brenda, I, went, I ran away from home a year and a half ago when I was 16. And Brenda says, Frank? Frank, you're not a Lutheran? (laughs) What does it mean to be a Lutheran? Why do we make such a big deal out of this particular Sunday, the Sunday that falls closest to October 31st, which is the actual Reformation Day itself? Why is this worth celebrating in our church calendar alongside the other special days? Is this just another way that uh, folk of German descent have found to celebrate in October? I mean, we've got Oktoberfest and all of those beers. We've got Reformation. Maybe we can get some Reformation brews going on. We've got Croctober. We've got all the things that we like to do this time of year. Maybe it's just in our blood. And if you're not German by blood, you're German by association if you're here, I suppose. What it means to be Lutheran is not really any of those things. Primarily, what it means to be Lutheran is this, that we believe that nothing saves us except Christ's righteous works. Now, we've got to start with this premise that might actually sound pretty un-Lutheran to you, and that's this. In order to be saved, you need to have righteous works. You are sitting in a Lutheran church. Okay? In order to be saved, you need to have righteous works. Revelation 20, John, the Apostle John sees this image of what will happen to all of us, what Jesus talked about, what the apostles talked about, what even the prophets talked about in the Old Testament. John sees a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. 
I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened. Including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged. Yes, you, even Christians, all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. One day, each of us is going to stand before the throne of God and the books of the testimony of our lives. All the things were like, yes, this is going to be, this is, I'm, I'm looking forward to when the, the, the courtroom of the cosmos finds out about this thing that I did. Yeah, this good deed I did, but also the thousand other, for every one good deed, the thousand other sins, the ways that we broke God's law, the nasty things that we hope never come to light, maybe from years ago that we're trying to forget, the books are going to be opened. And unless our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we are going to receive the reward that we have all earned. Eternal punishment under God's wrath. Because since Adam and Eve's sin at the very beginning kindled God's wrath, the curse has run wild through creation. The payment for sin, the wages of sin, according to Romans, is death. God doesn't just forget about this. God doesn't get over it. Our sin has a penalty that must be paid. His judgment still hangs over all who are stained by sin. And the promise is, if your name, no matter what actually, no matter what is actually written in the books of your life, you could be a lot holier than a bunch of other people who stand before God's throne. But if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, it's not going to go the way you want it to go. Paul says in Romans 3, which is the focus for my sermon this morning, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So we're going from bad to worse here, okay? This is one of these sermons where it's, I mean, there'll be, there's good news at the end, okay? But you got to hang with me. We're going from a bad situation to a worse one. Because the law, hey, it's like a guide. We know the right things to do. We know what we're supposed to avoid. We know the good things that we are supposed to do. And God himself gave it to us. It's like a cheat code. We don't have to guess at all of this. But even though it does make sense that knowing what things are righteous is a good first step into being righteous, the sin in our hearts, when it finds out what the law says, we only realize that we are even just that much more sinful. We learn this much more law, we realize we are this much more sinful. We, we, we become this much more acquainted with God's righteousness and we are this much more sinful, we find out. Sin in our hearts, when it comes into contact with God's law, only ever produces an indictment against us. The more we know of what God wants from us, the more we are guilty of breaking those laws. Before, perhaps, you know, when you don't know, you're not aware of that sin. But then once you do know, now you can't act like you'd never heard. You can't act like you don't know. 
And here's where the good news starts to come in. The very next verse, Paul says, but now, that's always a good start. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without having to keep the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, way back then, this was promised. That there was a way to be made right with God that didn't require strict obedience to all of God's commands. Jeremiah knew it. Isaiah knew it. Ezekiel knew it. It's all over the Old Testament that this new thing was coming. And in Christ, crucified for you, it has come. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, Greek or non-Greek. Non-Greek is a little more polite than barbarian, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter what you will continue to do in your struggle against sin. You are made right with God, not in the righteous deeds that the Holy Spirit supplies you in, not in the good works that you get power from God to do. You're made right with God as a gift. It's credited to your account. You ever install like a new air conditioner, a new furnace or whatever, and then like, you know, at the speed of government, you get a check. So like nine months later, you get a check from XL Energy. If you're, uh, if you work for the government in here, I mean, no disrespect, but I think we can all relate to this. Okay. You get a check. What is this about? It's a rebate or it's a, the, Hey, you accidentally overpaid. So guess what? Your next bill has had a credit applied to it. You didn't like what? Wow, that's good news. God credits to your account perfect righteousness when you have faith that Jesus' blood was shed for you. When you acknowledge, I needed to have his blood shed for me because I am a sinner and I cannot escape God's punishment on my own. I am just not good enough. It'll never happen. Bless you. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. All of the good things that the law says to do, he did them. All of the bad things that the law says to avoid, he avoided them. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come here to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to supersede them like I'm here now. So you just forget about all that and listen to what I say. That's not why he came. That's not what he said. He says, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to complete them. I came to fulfill the law, some t- in, in, in some translations it says. And then instead of receiving the reward for obedience to God, blessing, honor, and life, Jesus opted instead to receive your reward. Curse, shame, and death as he hung naked on the cross, despised by everyone, mocked, beaten to within an inch of his life and then pinned up on that rough lumber like an insect. That's rightly our punishment. In fact, that's rightly the first breath in and out of our punishment. Jesus took it all. He didn't deserve it. You did. 
But because he took it, now his perfect righteousness and the reward of that is freely offered to you. This is how this works. It's like an exchange. Kind of, I mean, not that unlike trading at lunch in elementary school or middle school or high school, I suppose. If somebody's got something that looks a little better to you or they're like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this today. And as long as none of our moms find out, let's do, you know, uh, you can have this. I'm not feeling the oatmeal raisin cookie. I'm more of a chocolate chip guy myself. And so you do a little exchange, right? The thing you came with, you, you give that away and you get something else. When you come to Jesus in faith, you bring all of your sin. You bring all of your shame and your guilt and your hurt. And all of the reasons that God should throw you into hell forever. And Jesus says, let me take that. I'll take that for you. And you can have this instead. You can have love. You can be healed. You can have peace and joy and hope. You don't have to earn this. I love you and I want you to have it. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You might know it in a different way. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short. Yet God in his grace, <laughs> grace, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. That's an easy one to memorize because it rhymes. He did this through Christ Jesus. We know today's sermon hymn, maybe, you might know this as what? The battle hymn of the Reformation. The Battle Hymn of the Reformation. There's also the Battle Hymn of the Republic. That's a little bit different. The Battle Hymn of the Reformation, right? Marching. Uh, famously, um, King Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden supposedly had a band, a military band, come and play this somewhere where they were out of, you know, they were non-combatants. And he had a band playing a mighty fortress as people are like, I mean, the horror of war is happening. Really. A mighty fortress is our God. But... It took a hundred years after Luther wrote this hymn for it to become associated with the festival of the Reformation because in the, in the time of Luther, nobody was celebrating the Reformation. Everyone was hiding from the Roman Catholic Church because they didn't want to be burned at the stake. They didn't want to be martyred for all of this. It took like more than a century for the Reformation celebration to even become a thing and for this hymn to be associated with it. So we, what, what we do know about this hymn is that on one of the original sheets of paper that was published right in... in that Luther's hand maybe actually touched, it says, a hymn of comfort. A hymn of comfort. What is the comfort? Well, exactly what we've seen in Romans 3. He says, with might of ours cannot be done. We can't do anything with our own power. Soon were our loss affected, but for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. You ask, who is this? Jesus Christ, it is. Of Sabaoth, Lord, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. We are powerless to accomplish anything 
in terms of making ourselves right with God, in terms of getting ourselves out of the hole we are in. And our threefold enemy of sin and death and the devil would make short work of us if it were not for the valiant one who comes and fights for us. The other version of a mighty fortress in the, in the hymn 657 says, but now a champion comes to fight whom God himself elected. How many years ago was it, right, that our Minnesota twins were champions? Right around this time of the year. Sorry to say, for, for those of you who are going to, you know, not like this, but I wasn't even born. <laughs> There are champions in this world, right? And ever, like part of the draw of being a fan of, of your you know, sports teams, whether it's football or baseball or basketball, is like we want to go all the way. We, we want to celebrate a championship. We are the champions. That squad are our champions because they bring like honor to Minnesota or they end this drought or we can, we can bring glory back, right? There's something about champions in this world that is like, they're, they're great while they last, but then they, somebody new comes along and knocks him out, right? And the greatest, Muhammad Ali, well, he's not the greatest right now. Earthly champions never last. But the champion that God chooses for you is different entirely. <coughs> Jesus is not going to be like our Minnesota Twins. Glorious for a few years in, the, in 87 and 91, and then... Uh, kind of slowly trending down until early 2000s when there's like not even a playoff win for what was it now 21 years or 19 years something crazy like that Jesus doesn't let us down like that he doesn't get our hopes up and then fail to deliver he did everything for us our victory has been won the kingdom ours remaineth you don't keep the kingdom through now being holy as a Christian it was all given to you and is secure when you have faith in Jesus. At the great white throne, the question is not going to be, wait, Frank? You're not a Lutheran? Or, hey, he's a Lutheran. Let him on in. The question about our identity is going to be, do you believe that the only thing that can save you is my work for you? That's the question. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? This is why we celebrate this day, because through the work of Martin Luther and the other reformers, the Holy Spirit, this is a day about the Holy Spirit in the church, more than it's a day about Martin Luther. The Holy Spirit made clear to the church once more that nothing saves except Christ's righteous work. And he saves completely and gives it freely. And like we said in the gradual, we take note of the fortified walls of our mighty fortress, of our God. We tour all the citadels. We walk around. We count the many towers so that we can describe them to future generations. That's what our forebears here did for us. That's why we are here today. That is what we are doing even now. Passing this on from one generation to the next. He is our God forever and ever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.